welcome to another edition of The Word of God. Today we'll be looking at three sets of scripture from the books of Kings, 1 Kings. There are two books of Kings, 1 Kings and 2 Kings. 1 Kings is a history book. It's going to tell us about the history of Israel. The reason that's important is it gives us a different perspective on the way God speaks to us. We have the Pentateuch at the beginning of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Then we begin with the history books, starting with Joshua. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Those are all history books. Then we go into the uh, wisdom literature with Job and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. We have Song of Solomon in there, and of course the Great Psalter. And then we go into the prophetic books with Isaiah, and Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and Daniel, and then the minor prophets, Hosea, etc. It's a quick breakdown of the Old Testament. So we'll be looking at the book of 1 Kings, chapter 8, verse 22, through chapter 12, verse 20. We will be getting a new book of the Bible, the book of James five-chapter book, and I'll say more about that when we get to James. We have been studying Acts for a very long time, and Acts has 28 chapters, so it takes a while to go through 28 chapters. We'll be starting a new one, the book of James, and James was the half-brother, we believe, of Jesus. So we had a particularly good insight, a good book to read. And then finally, the gospel reading for this week is Mark chapter 14, verse 53, through chapter 15, verse 39. Remember, I left off last week talking about the fact that um, Jesus is arrested, Judas betrays him with a kiss, and now they're going to put him to death by crucifixion. And that will take us through chapter 15. Okay, Chapter 16 is where we have the resurrection, and that will uh, occur in the following week. All right, let's go through our Bibles, through 1 Kings. You want to get your Bible out and read with me? You'll notice on this podcast that we have listed the, the scriptures for the day. Now, you may want to read the Psalter, the Psalms, for that day, if you would like. But I don't have time to go through the Psalter. Uh, that would take way too much time. And again, all I'm doing is I'm giving you an overview of these texts and encouraging you to read them and to prayerfully consider them, consider what God is saying. And I try to bring up a few points, salient points, important points about the text that will give us some wisdom and uh, we should give prayerful consideration to. In 1 Kings chapter 8, remember I spoke about the fact that Solomon is now king, that God made a covenant with David, that he would keep his uh, name on the throne, his family on the throne, as long as they obeyed the Lord. And in the second half of 1 Kings chapter 8, we see Solomon's prayer of dedication. O Lord, O God of Israel, verse 23, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continually, wholeheartedly, love you in every way. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. 
with your mouth you have promised and with your right hand you have fulfilled it as today. So now what he's going to do, the temple is completed. He's now going to thank God and they are going to dedicate the temple to the Lord. And so very long chapter, chapter 8. So read chapter 8 very well, very carefully. We are going to see God glorified and magnified for the creation of the temple and the blessing and asking the blessing of the temple. Okay? That is going to take place through chapter uh, 8. When Solomon, chapter 9, verse 1, had finished building the temple of the Lord in the royal palace and achieved all that he desired to do, the Lord appeared to him a second time as he appeared to him at Gibeon. The Lord said to him, I have heard the prayer and plea you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple. So the Lord consecrated and blessed the temple, set it apart, which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, God is talking directly to Solomon. If you walk before me in integrity of heart and uprightness, as David your father did, and do all that I command and observe and, and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. As I promised David, when your father, your father, when I said, you shall never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. Now, remember we discussed that last week, and we also discussed it when we looked at 2 Samuel 7 several weeks ago. So Israel is going to be blessed if they have integrity of heart and are upright, if they command the people to do the will of God and they observe all the laws of the Lord and the decrees that he has established, the nation will be blessed. But if you or your sons, verse 6, turn away from me and do not observe the commands and decrees I give you. It reminds me very much of Deuteronomy chapter 8. And you go off and serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them and will reject this temple I have consecrated in my name. And then he says more about what he's going to do. So that is not a situation you want to be in, Solomon. You want to do the word of the Lord, you want your people to do the word of the Lord. Now, if you continue on in your reading, in your daily reading in 1 Kings, you'll see in, in the end of chapter 9, in chapter 10, you'll have the Queen of Sheba visiting Solomon, very famous person. And you'll see the wealth of Israel and you see all the wonderful things that are going on. But Solomon, in chapter 11, had lots of problems. He did not do what God said. He had an extraordinary number of wives. And it says sadly in verse 4 of chapter 11, As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. And he started listing the goddesses that he started following. The Lord became angry with Solomon, chapter 11, verse 9, because his heart had turned away from the Lord and the God of Israel who appeared to him twice. 
Now, God appears to you twice. He tells you exactly what he wants you to do, and then you don't do it. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command, verse 10. So the Lord said to Solomon, verse 11, Since this is your attitude, and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I most certainly will tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet, I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. And believe it or not, in verse 14, it says, and this is not actually in your reading, but you may want to read this. The Lord raised up Solomon against Solomon, an adversary. Now, when the Lord starts raising up adversaries against you and me, because we did not do what he said, after he appeared to us and told him what to do, that is bad news. You do not want God Almighty to raise up anything to come against you. And he has the capability of doing that. We see at the end of chapter 11 the disastrous consequences of what Solomon had set in motion. Jeroboam rebels against Solomon. It's a beautiful exposition there. And at the end of this chapter, Solomon dies. As for the other events of Solomon's reign, as he did, and the wisdom he displayed are not written in the book of the Annals of Solomon. Solomon reigned in Jerusalem for over 40 years. Then he rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father. And Rehoboam, his son, succeeded him as king. And now you're going to get a tete-a-tete between Jeroboam and Rehoboam in 1 Kings chapter 12, 1 through 20. Now, this is very important reading. Again, I don't have time. To, I wish I did to go over the whole thing with you, but it's very important. It's very understandable. So as you read the end of chapter 11 and the beginning of chapter 12, the first half of chapter 12, you're going to understand exactly what's going on. And you're going to see the hand of God at work in tearing the kingdom away from Solomon, from Solomon's children, and then from the king of the north, and there's going to be a tremendous fight for um, leadership. And that is going to extend through the end of 2 Kings 25. It's going to go for a very long time. So when we do not do what God says, and God raises an adversary, and he gives us several chances, but we do not take them, we're going to have lots of problems. Enjoy reading 1 Kings. James. Now, 13 letters were written by Paul, and beginning with Romans, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, etc. And we have Hebrews, and after Hebrews is the book of James. So let's turn to that. That's at the end of the Bible, if you're following with me and listening to my voice or watching me. Get your Bible out and go to James. James. 
Now, what we have listed in our readings for this week, and of course, you can read more than this, right? We have James chapter 2 through James chapter 5. Chapter 1 is very good, so I commend it to your reading. Just some more reading that you'll have to do, but I think you'll enjoy it. In chapter 2, we have the fantastic concept of not showing favoritism, of blessing poor people, of not turning people away because of the amount of money that they have. It's a very strong text. Read it carefully. In the second half of that text, we have the very famous argument regarding faith and works. And what James basically says is, you have faith, show it by your works. If your works aren't commensurate with your faith, you don't have any faith. You just think you have faith. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, verse 20, verse, uh, chapter 2. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And then he goes on to show that. Verse 24, beautiful verse. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Now, how will you vindicate yourself that you really love God? Not just by your faith, by what you believe, but also by your actions. Are actions important? I've spent 10, 12 minutes on 1 Kings just talking about their actions. And you see what happens if we do not do what God says. Last verse. As the body without the spirit is dead, as the body without the spirit is dead, literally dead, faith without works is dead. Faith without deeds is dead. If you and I do not have works, but say we have faith, it's not going to cut it. There has to be a conjoining of faith in Christ that's strong and works in Christ that are evident. Great scripture. If you haven't read it, certainly rereading it again is no, is no problem. It's very, very important, and we want to keep that before us. In chapter 3, 1 through 12, we have another famous text, and that is the text regarding taming the tongue and the problem with the tongue. So we've talked about blessing those that are poor, and we've talked about faith and works and the reality and how they work together. Thirdly, we're talking about the tongue. He says in uh, chapter 3, verse 6, The tongue is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Your tongue is very, very potentially, if I can use all those adverbs, dangerous. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, chapter uh, 3, verse 9. And with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. We can curse God and bless God. We can praise God and then curse our brother. He says this should not be so. Again, our actions and our beliefs need to coincide. They need to be distinguishable. We need to be people that believe in God and also evidence that, not only in what we do, but what we say. Now, for those of you that read the book of Proverbs, this is a very important theme of Proverbs. 
because Proverbs is filled with ways of encouragement and wisdom regarding the tongue and how to use it properly. Beautiful scripture. At the end, we have James 3.13 to 4.12, where we talk about wisdom and submitting ourselves to God, resisting the devil and he will flee from you. I love that passage, uh, James 4.7, come near to God and he will come near to you. So now we're going to set off very little, uh, a few pericopes where we'll be looking at sections of the New Testament where he's going to give us some advice and wisdom about how to live our lives. It's recommended very highly. And then as we work through the end of chapter 4 into chapter 5, he says, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag, all such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. So he's warning the rich in chapter 5. We are to be patient in suffering. Pray for those that are sick. Again, small pericopes, short sentences, just a few verses, and again, much wisdom from the hand of James. So be blessed. And again, I would recommend even reading the whole chapter, the whole series of chapters, the whole book, I should say. Read it all. Mark, now, where we left off last week, Jesus was arrested. He was turned in to the Roman people through the efforts of Judas, who wanted 30 pieces of silver for this heinous act. We pick up in chapter 14, verse 53, with Jesus appearing before the Sanhedrin. They're looking for evidence to kill him. They do not like him. That's an understatement. They want him dead. Jesus goes back and forth with them. Not many... Um, statements that he makes, but a few. Remember how Peter said last week that he was not going to go against Jesus and that he would not disown him? Well, he does. He began to call down curses on himself, verse 30, 71, and swore to them, I don't know this man whom you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. He disowned him three times. The rooster crows twice. And Jesus Christ is disowned by his greatest apostle. Now we move into chapter 15. We'll go from verses 1 through 39. Jesus appears before, before Pilate. Now... The Jews were not going to kill him directly. Jesus was always supposed to die by crucifixion. The Jews did not kill people by crucifixion. They killed people by stoning. If you've ever been to Israel, and particularly to Jerusalem, there's lots of stones. It's very easy to stone somebody. But that was not the way that God wanted him to die. The Lord wanted him to die by crucifixion, a much more painful death and much slower. And the people wanted him dead and the leaders wanted him dead. But Pilate really did not find a reason to kill him. 
but they finally dissuaded him and persuaded him to, dissuaded him from not killing him to killing him and persuaded him to be crucified. He was first flogged and handed over to be crucified, verse 15. The soldiers mocked him, and he was crucified from verses 21 to 32. The death of Jesus. Crucified outside the Jerusalem, two robbers, two very, very bad people. He was the third in the middle. And he dies about the ninth hour, which would be 3 p.m., and in the ninth hour, he cries out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The eternal Son of God is now dead. It seems impossible that that could happen. And he dies. He is, um, the. we also see the phenomenon of the curtain of the temple being torn in two from top to bottom. And verse 39, the last verse, when the centurion who had stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. So, Jesus willingly gave himself up to be killed. He could have called 12 legions of angels upon them. He did not. He had the power to destroy them. He did not. He was crucified by the Romans, turned in by the Jews, who shouted against the Pilate's original idea, which was to let him go because he couldn't find anything wrong with him. Barabbas was let go. Jesus was crucified. He died between two very bad people. And at 3 p.m., he was dead. Next week, we'll pick up what happens next in chapter 15 and chapter 16 of Mark. Please enjoy the book of James. I think you'll like it very much. And again, think about reading all five chapters. And then in 1 Kings, we see the life of Solomon. He did some beautiful things, as we said to you last week. But toward the end, he went south, as it were. And then his son and his rival had it out between them. And eventually, the kingdom was taken from them. And we'll begin to look at that more next week. God bless you in your reading of the Word of God. I look forward to being with you next week as we continue our journey into the Holy Scriptures.